Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio, this is Raider Nation Radio 920. Unnecessary Roughness. roughness. I think this, that somewhere within the first five to ten plays of the game, the other team's quarterback must go down. And he must go down hard. It's Unnecessary Roughness here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Big hole. First down. End zone. Touchdown. Touchdown, Raiders. Would you believe it? This is Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio 920. Here's your boy, Q. Q on a little bit of a vacation. Jonathan Von Tobel filling in. You can follow up on Twitter at BJBT. Work for the Vegas Stats and Information Network. Also do some stuff over on ESPN 1100, 100.9 FM, our sister station. All right, let's welcome in Mark McMillan, former NFL defensive back, played for the Alabama Crimson Tide, drafted by the Philadelphia Eagles back in 92. Mark, it is good to talk to you. Thank you. Uh, and I think I think we had John because Alabama was in the news recently, and namely Nick Saban. So let's come to business here. I'll just ask you right off the bat, uh, what did you make of Saban's comments about Jackson State, Texas A&M, the allegations that A&M paid for its class or that Jackson State paid for Travis Hunter a million dollars? It seemed very... Yeah. It seemed very different for Saban. He does come after the media sometimes, but to to openly go after other coaches, I thought was pretty surprising. Yeah, it was very surprising to me as well. Um, I, I I didn't really get why he called out Dion like that. Um, obviously, you know, with the struggles of uh, you know the um, black college football and what they have to go through as far as the funds and stuff like that, Dion is a, a marketing genius, and what he's doing with those young men should be uh, applauded. And with the new NIL rule. Um, that's what it's for, you know, for these young men to be able to capitalize on their likeness and, and to get paid. Now, Jimbo Fisher, um, you know, you, you saw Lane Kiffin. I saw Lane Kiffin getting into the tweet in action with him as well, uh, kind of trolling the both coaches. Um, but as far as, um, you know, him going after Jimbo, uh, you, you, you know, what, the last four years, they didn't have any five-star recruits. And then you bring in the NIL uh, rule, and all of a sudden he's got the best recruiting class in the country. So how do you go from having – zero five stars who having the number one recruiting class in the country uh, since the NIL rule. But I'm all for these young men to get their money, get to get paid off their likeness. And, you know, it, it's uh, it's great to see these young men. But I, I, I like the way Nick Saban goes after these guys. Um, you know, people call him a crybaby. But, you know, he's still the king of college football until you knock him off. Um, you know, obviously Kirby Smart, you know, the Georgia Bulldogs won a national title last year. Uh, but, you know, it, it, it's fair game. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm excited to see Nick Saban uh, get a little pushback as well from Lane Kiffin. Lane Kiffin is loving this. He's got his popcorn ready. Um, I think that Texas A&M-Alabama game is probably going to be one of the most watched games, the pregame, the handshake. I don't even think they're going to shake hands after the game. Yeah, and you also have Saban doing the mea culpa, trying to come back and apologize. And uh, we'll get to the, the – you bring up, I think, a really good point when it comes to Dion and the HBCUs and everything that comes behind that. I was really surprised that he went after Dion the way that he did. But I'm kind of curious from Saban's yeah. standpoint, like, is it not a little hypocritical? Like, I brought this up yesterday. Remember last summer when he was he was very fine going out in the media and going, yeah, my quarterback's set to make about a million dollars in this uh, NIL yep. stuff. Uh, and it's okay for you, but now that the gap might be closing just a little bit, now we got to go after these guys. This is unacceptable. It's a wild west out here. Yeah, it, it, it's unfortunate. Obviously, Bryce Young is one of the most talented quarterbacks in college football. And, you know, the young man did sign some lucrative deals, which he earned it, you know, with his likeness and the way he you know goes out and performs. He's a Heisman Trophy winner. Um, he's a national champion. And what he's able to accomplish, and if he can use that for his likeness, 
you know, fair game. And, you know, obviously Nick Saban does this all the time. He throws little sound bites out there, man, to get everybody revved up. Um, you know, obviously it fires up the team. Um, it's going to, you know, he's got to find out ways to motivate his team and to motivate the people around him. When you've won that many games, that many national titles, uh, you talk to guys that won Super Bowls, what motivates those guys? You have to find something that motivates you. And talking about sound bites, man, if this doesn't ring, the, the SEC conference is going to be real exciting to see. And like I said, uh, you know, taking a shot at the HBCU, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't buy that. You know, I'm sure Nick Saban probably texted Dion or Dion. I'm sure Dion called him and probably called Nick out on it. And obviously, the Affleck commercials that they do together, <laughs> that might be a little bit more uncomfortable. Yeah, Mark. When it comes to these players and actually receiving NIL money, I'm sure that they—that's a part of the recruiting process. Now, do you think that it actually plays that big of a two factor? Of hey, A and M can offer me a million, but Alabama's only offering me nine hundred thousand. Do you think that that's going to weigh that much deciding on where kids actually go to school at? Because for me, I still think that winning and getting to the pros is what matters at the end of the day. Well, you got to look at the, the landscape and the demographic of college football. You know, you look at the rosters from top to bottom, and you see the key players. A lot of these kids are African-American players coming from, you know, really bad backgrounds. So you're going to tell a kid that's 17, 18 years old uh, that he can have 500000 or a million dollars in the bank if he signs with this school. What do you think that young man is going to do? He's going to choose that money over winning. And, you know, that's the landscape that we're in in college football now. Uh, money is going to outweigh uh, winning. And it, you saw it in the AAU uh, basketball circuit, the way that's being ran, too. So um, a lot of these young men have an opportunity to make a lot of money before they even step on a college campus. And, you know, I ask you the question, if you're 17 or 18, you're going to go to Alabama or you're going to go to Texas A&M that's going to put a million dollars in your bank account. Wait, but if it's up to if, all, if Alabama's offering five hundred thousand and A and M's offering a million, I still think I'm gonna go to Alabama because I think nah. that they produce the pros more. I mean, you say that now, but once you put once those figures are in front of you, realistically, it makes I, right, Mark. I think that would make that a lot harder choice. It's easy to say it now, but when those numbers are in front of you, I, I'm thinking about it. Trust me, I, I you know I love the what I love that go to USC. You know, right down the street from my house. I uh, went to the University of Alabama, not because I got paid, but, you know, it was an opportunity for me to uh, learn a little bit more, uh, be ready for the National Football League if that opportunity came. But as far as a 17, 18-year-old kid, you cannot tell me you're going to choose Alabama over having a million dollars in the bank. So this is the other thing about it that kind of is really curious to me when it comes to Saban. How, how many times, and I'll liken this to the NFL – how many times do we see a team, Mark, win the offseason, right? Like, get the most talent. They have, a good, they have a good free agent class. It looks like they're going to be loaded up, ready to go. And the, the season comes and it doesn't really work out. It's one thing to give you the ingredients. It's another to make use of them, right? Like, I look at a program like Miami that seems to be really buying into this NIL thing. But at the same time, like, are we really buying into, like, you got to develop these guys. you got to coach these guys. It's great that right. you're getting them in there. But I, if I'm saving, I'm kind of relying on the fact that, like, okay, fine. You know what? Go ahead and get the first recruiting class because we'll get the second, and I'll develop these guys, and they'll be better than yours. And I think that's a, a big part of why a lot of guys choose to go to Alabama. Uh, they do a great job of developing these young men so they are ready uh, for the next step of the National Football League. Um, there's a lot of coaches out there that do a really good job of preparing these young men of being uh, NFL ready. And, you know, Nick Saban is probably one of the best to ever do it. Um, you see Ohio State, they do a really good job of having their uh, student-athletes prepared to go to the next level. 
Um, you know, there's Clemson. You know, Dabble does a good job with his staff preparing these young men. And it all depends on what program you're at. And like you said, if Nick Saban can finish second or third um, and still develop these young men to go to the National Football League, um, that's what it's all about. You know, get these guys uh, to get a degree and giving them an opportunity to go to the National Football League. And you look over the last couple of years, it's been Clemson, it's been Ohio State, it's been Alabama uh, that's been pumping out these guys. And recently with LSU, they had, what, like 10, 11 guys uh, get drafted their national championship year. So, and you've mentioned a couple of times now, and I think this is the, the lost angle on this because we're getting excited about Jimbo Fisher calling Nick Saban God and all these things and the jokes about <laughs> Deion Sanders and the Affleck commercials. But to me on the surface, it doesn't look really good for Saban to take shots at Deion Sanders for what he's done for a university right. like Jackson State. And it, it just, I agree. It, it, feel, it looks a little salty, right? Like all of a sudden, here's Deion Sanders, black head coach, bringing this program up, getting national recognition, right. and all of a sudden, oh, that's a little too much for me over here, head coach of Alabama who's been at the top for a while yeah and you know that you look at the social media and you, you hear about you know guys around the league and you know just talking to different guys um you know I, that was a cheap shot Deion sanders name should have never came up in that conversation you know they, they don't have a budget of a texas a&m or alabama um it's hard enough for these young men to even get on espn and all the hard work that Dion has put in for the hbcu uh, Eddie George is down there. Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of former NFL coaches and players putting a lot of things on the line, man, to, to go into these universities where the budget is low, the locker rooms are not up to par, these guys are riding on yellow buses. But, you know, since Dion has been at, uh, you know, Jackson State, you know, they've been on uh, ESPN, um, you know, they, they're, they're dressed up, they have, you know, shoe deals, uh, Gatorade contracts, and the big schools already have that in place. And, you know, I just think Nick Saban needs to apologize publicly uh, to Deion Sanders because that's putting a, uh, you know, that, that's, that was way below the belt. You know, Jimbo Fisher, whatever, Kirby Smart, those guys go at it all the time in press conferences. But when you, when you single out an HBCU school, which has nowhere near the budget of these D1 programs, you know, I think that was a way overboard by Nick Saban. Dion has since come out said that Saban uh, reached out privately to apologize. He came back and said, no, if you want to talk, we talk publicly because you made those comments publicly. Yeah. So my follow-up question yeah. would be, uh, I know my price. How much would you pay to listen to that conversation? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't know. I don't even know if I had a price. You know, I think I would just want to listen just to listen, uh, knowing Dion and know what kind of guy he is and know what he stands for, played against him for many years and know what comes out of his mouth. Uh, you know, he's going to stand up for his kids and stand up for his university because um, those young men are looking at Nick like, okay, one of the greatest they ever do it has taken a shot at us, and you keep telling us to not back down and not take any crap from anybody. So now the Jackson State community, the HBCU as a whole, is looking to see what Dion is going to do and how he's going to respond. And like he said, you know, Nick needs to come out publicly uh, and not through a text message or a phone call. All right, Mark. Yeah, you went to Alabama, and I think – what was Nick Saban's endgame here? That's what I keep thinking when he makes these comments. Because is he trying to get Alabama boosters to spend some more money? And I know you run in those circles a little bit. You might know some of be who these boosters are. So do you think that <laughs> Alabama has the money, if it comes down to it, to bring the big stick over the top and run the NIL market? Because I think that that's what Nick Saban is saying. Like, hey, guys. If we're going to play this game, Alabama can dominate that way too. Do you think that that's his message at the end of the day, that Alabama can run the NIL game if they want to? One thing about the state of Alabama, they have a lot of money in those small towns. And 
obviously Texas, you know, you got a lot of heavy hitters with that oil money down there. So it's probably like a breeding, bidding war uh, to, to see who's going to step up and, uh, you know, play. But like I said, you, Nick Saban doesn't have to go out and, and get these guys a lot of money to play at Alabama. You want to go to Alabama because, first of all, you're going to win. Um, each year, one of those guys, one of those four recruiting classes is going to win a national title. Um, it, you're going to play in a great atmosphere. Um, you're going to travel well. Um, you're going to eat well. But everybody in the Southeastern Conference are, are coming up to par with the same things. It's just what kind of edge that makes Saban so great. Um, a lot of people have been trying to figure that out, and no one's able to figure it out. And he's putting the best players on the field. Um, he's getting the best talent at each position. Like I said, Ohio State is no slouch. They're, they're, they're 1A and 1B, if, if you ask me. They have some really good, talented players. But I'm sure there's some boosters down there in Tuscaloosa and Birmingham, uh, that's going to step up to the plate. And you might see some players uh, driving around in some nice little fancy cars of late. Yeah, and like the irony is he made all these comments in front of small business owners in Alabama. Like we, I wonder what he was doing talking to those guys. Uh, so <laughs> well, Nick Saban is not dumb. <laughs> right, exactly. We know that. He's a smart guy. So I'll just ask you this. So yeah. at the heart of all this, is obviously, is NIL. What, like, do you think that this is, as some have called it, the Wild West? ESPN did, like, they went around and reached out to all these anonymous ADs and coaches after this spat between Fisher and, and Sanders and, and Nick Saban. And there's a couple of guys who are like, oh, college, it's college sports, it's falling apart, we have no idea. Idea. Is it really that bad in your mind when you're looking at the way this is all going down? I don't think it's really that bad. Um, obviously, the, the the big time guys will be able to get the big time guys because they have the, the the big time budget. And you know, if you got a good uh, booster program, uh, if you got a good alumni base, you're able to um, conjure up a lot more money at these little gatherings and functions. Uh, you look at uh, you know what uh, Lincoln is doing over there. Uh, you know, uh, obviously, what USC is doing over there. You know, they're getting some of the top guys as well. You know, they just picked up the, uh, the, the Bletnikoff winner from last year from the mm-hmm. University of Pitt. Um, you know, they, they pick up uh, the quarterback from Oklahoma, Kelly. So they're, they're, they're putting together a lot of pieces as well. Obviously, Southern California has a big-time booster base. And how are you getting these kids in Southern California, um, you know, knowing they only have one or two-year deals? Um, you know, the NIL is giving these guys an opportunity to market themselves in a big market in California. Why do you think LeBron James? Went to the Lakers. You know, he, he's got studios now. He's been on more commercials. So it's a great opportunity when you go to California. Mark, it's always good to talk to you. Before we get out of here, I do have to bring up something food-wise to you because uh, I do feel – got to talk about food, man. So I actually – I don't know because I know you're big on, you know, grill, grill and McMillan, all that good stuff. Can I tell you that yeah. my wife just recently got me – and I don't, I'm gonna, this is dangerous because you might make fun of me. <laughs> I just got a rice cooker, and I think it's a game changer. Like, I've used it so many times over the last week. I think it's freaking awesome. Wait a minute. What are you putting in the rice cooker besides rice? I hope it's just rice and maybe some vegetables. Oh, yeah, you steam it up. But, like, it's it's so quick. It's easy. It's convenient. It's the future. It senses the weight of what I put in there. I don't have to set a timer. I just put it in there, hit the button, and it cooks it. And I am. I'm a big guy, so trying to cut down on the LBs. So it's kind of helped me out a little bit. You know what I mean? But I love it. Hold on, Mark. I, 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 I've never cooked anything besides a rice and a rice cooker. Now I'm sitting here at Santan Spirit here in downtown Chandler, man, and I, I, I'm going to have another spirit just because <laughs> you're cooking food in a, in a rice cooker. So I'm going to have another cocktail from Santan Spirits right here in Chandler, Arizona, baby. Hold on, Mark. Well, let me ask guys. you one more then. He's talking about that. What do you think about people who cook their steak in the air fryer? Oh, yeah. Oh, you know, that's, that's a different ballgame. I know a lot of people say it comes out juicy, it comes out tender. But I'm a grill guy, man. You guys see me on social media, man. I, I got a great partnership with Banner Glow. Um, they give me a smoker, uh, pellet smoker, electric smoker, 
Um, I know people say electric pellet smoker is cheating, but I actually made some really good ribs out of my pellet smoker last week. So it's about the seasoning. And obviously, if you season your meat correctly, you can use whatever method you want. But I'm just not an air fryer guy in the state. I need to get some char marks. I need to see some fire. I need to see some flame. You got to get on TikTok, man. Put up some of these cooking videos. I'll follow you. I'll watch them. On TikTok, man. I'm on TikTok. I'm on Instagram, man. I'm, I'm on Twitter. So make sure you follow me, man. All right, I will. Mark McHillman, again, uh, nice enough to give us some time. Mark, thank you, man. Really appreciate it. I appreciate you guys, and I appreciate you having me on. You got it. Again, uh, former NFL defensive back, played for the Crimson Tides. That's pretty good insight on what's going on with Saban. Mark McMillan, 29, up on Twitter. All right, we, uh, we got a lot to get to in the next uh, few minutes here. Man, time flies. We're already in the final hour here. It's a fun show. It is. It is. Time flies when you're having fun. Hey, Raider Nation, this is Bruce Buffer, and you're listening to Raider Nation Radio 920. It's time! Welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness. Unnecessary Roughness. Here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Here's your boy Q. Your boy Q's on vacation. I'm Jonathan Von Tobel. Filling in here on Raider Nation Radio. You can get in touch with the show multiple ways. You can call in 702-365-9200. Heard from many people, including Raider Mike. You can also text if you'd like. 69187, the Sam and Ash text line, keyword RNR. You can visit them at samandash.com as well because you deserve what's right. Speaking right. of the text line, what do we got? All right, they didn't leave a name, but we've got, I guess, the main takeaway from all of the win total predictions from the bookers and things like the Cynthia Freudland win share projections is that the experts think that the Raiders had a bad offseason. So do you think it was a mistake for the Raiders to spend two draft picks on Adams instead of improving the offensive line? No, I don't think that's the case. Uh, I think when, you, when you're looking at – you always have to remember, too, like when you're, especially when we're talking about like like – point spreads and whatnot. These are all like probabilities, essentially, when you really boil it all down. And so I don't think that bookmakers, by any stretch, think that the Raiders had a bad offseason. I think we also have to remember that the teams around them in the division are very good, right? Like the And the conference as a whole is very good. The AFC champion, the Cincinnati Bengals, got better in the offseason. The Kansas City Chiefs are still the Kansas City Chiefs. I, I will agree with the quibbles of the Denver Broncos being rated as high by some you know odds makers and metrics out there. Same thing with the Los Angeles Chargers, although the Chargers, I think you have the stronger case that they're you know better. Um, it's just a really good, it's a very good division and, and, and conference. And so that's going to you know water down the numbers for the Las Vegas Raiders to a certain extent. And as we talked about with uh, Cynthia Froyland's projections, for those who weren't with us in the first hour, she had her top 11 offenses based on win share. Again, remember all the things that are baked into this, using averages, all these things. There's so much noise in, in numbers and stats like this, and, and there's kind of like a common thread amongst all these. So, like, for example, you take, like, the 11th-ranked offense in her list. It was the Miami Dolphins. It, like, I agree with everybody who says, yes, Tua Tungvaluwa, I have all my questions in the world about him. Adam Candy was being facetious yesterday when he said his average depth of target was, like, six yards behind the line, the line of, scrimmage. of scrimmage. It's actually six yards ahead of the line of scrimmage. But regardless, right, the questions about Tua are very apt. But you also have to look at that team realistically and realize that their wide receiving core is insanely deep. Their offensive line is much improved. And they check a lot of boxes in terms of like statistics and key statistics because they've been a rushing team due to the last two seasons. So those kind of numbers, when you project them forward, are going to come back with something better as you're looking ahead to the next season. But it all revolves around who? So we're talking about Loa and how well he's going to perform, which we all have those questions about. 
But I see to to this texter's point where they say, was it a mistake? Because if this, I know it's only one projection that we saw from NFL.com, but that one projection says that, hey, the Raiders' offensive line, it's too much of a mystery. So yeah, to, maybe, to accurately project, though. It's not saying that they're going to be bad. It's just saying that your offensive line and other aspects of your offense are, we just don't know what it is at this point. So the projections of what they're going to be, like that's there's a wide variety. Projections are exactly that, right? So there's a projection that the Raiders are a top-five offense. There's also a projection that they're an average offense. And I think it's fair. Like even I, I wrote down some of these numbers. For example, when we're talking about the offensive line, like if you look at their running attack last year, twenty fifth in rush DVOA, they were fifteen point eight percent worse than an average rushing uh, rushing attack. It's pretty low in a bunch of run game metrics when you're talking about like uh, adjusted line yards per carry, second level yards per carry, right? All these running metrics they were below average in. They had. I'm looking at this what? Not a single thousand yard rusher, no running back with at least five, uh, fifty carries average more than four yards per carry last year for them. And when you're using these projections, all you have are the numbers that were there, right? So you're using all of these to project forward, and I think that's why. And again, I would stress, too, we don't know who number 12 is. We don't know who number 13 is. So the Raiders could be 12 and right there, and the gap between them and the Dolphins who are at 11 is like razor thin, potentially. And also, I like something that you said there, because Dave Ziegler, he said this after the draft, that everyone on the interior of this line is going to be cross-trained. Because with Dylan Parham, there's there's projections – Experts are saying maybe he could be better at center instead of guard. We just don't know yet. But maybe Mick Lombardi, this offensive line crew, they can get in here and coach up these Raider players. Last year we said, hey, these guys stink. But with some better coaching maybe, Mm -hmm. they do improve. And that is something that we just haven't seen yet. Yep, absolutely. And and look, I think, you know, I was going to bring this up here too uh, as we're talking about this because it's not all, you know, it's funny when my little time that I've been here, we've always talked about like what these pundits think about the Las Vegas Raiders, and it tends to focus on the negative, right? Because that's what drums up the heartbeat. You know, that's what gets people to be like, you know, it's 69187, what are these guys talking about? They don't know what they're talking about. Keyword R&R. But Adam Shine, he's an MVP voter. He listed Derek Carr as a dark horse to an MVP this year. Why? Because when we're talking about all of the assumptions and projections and what this offense could be, again, there's a world in which this offense is pretty freaking good. And who's the biggest beneficiary of that? Well, it's Derek Carr, who's been, I think, an extremely steady quarterback for the last few seasons, and now with a guy like Josh McDaniels, who's going to be shaping the offense, calling plays and whatnot, there's actually a pretty good world. There's actually a very good argument made that Derek Carr is going to be a dark horse candidate to win most most valuable player this year. Would you put your own money on it? Well, let's see what the odds are. I mean, because, you know, that's a fun thing to say, Derek Carr, dark horse to be MVP. But I like if you could find those odds, I'd want to see what they are before anyone says, like, hey, that's actually a good bet to place, though. He is. Oh, I misspelled car. How about that? My A doesn't work. 22 to 1 to win most valuable player. Josh Allen is your favorite at 7 to 1. These are odds courtesy of DraftKings. So, again, these are going to vary shop to shop. So, you can look around. You'll probably find better numbers on Derek Carter win. So, probably in the range of 30 to 1 or so. But Josh Allen, 7 to 1. Patrick Mahomes, 9 to 1. Justin Herbert at 10 to 1, the third choice on the board, as is Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. Joe Burrow, 12. Russell Wilson, 14 to 1. So, three quarterbacks in the end. And if this doesn't give you an idea, by the way, of how odds work, right, for some of these awards, it's all, it's a lot of it's based on liability. They're not really true odds. That's the other thing, too. So, when you look at an odds board and you see that the Raiders aren't that high up on a board or something like that, and you're like, these odds makers, they don't respect the Raiders. 
It's actually more reflective of liability than anything else. Liability in that they're popular bets at the windows. So don't be mad at odds makers. Be mad at your peers who are betting on the teams to then water down the odds for others. But Derek Carr, 22 to 1. Now, this is something I would disagree with. If you're talking about where he lands in the pecking order of things, I'll ask you this question. Who do you think has a more likely case to win MVP next year? Jalen Hurts or Derek Carr? Derek Carr, come on. Jalen Hurts has the better odds, 18 to 1. So again, it's not always reflective of what's going on when he comes to looking at this, but looking at these odds, because Jalen Hurts, the Philadelphia Eagles, they're offseason, like they're the offseason darling. A lot of people are looking at this team and really enjoying what they saw. I can make the argument that Jalen Hurts potentially doesn't even finish out. Odds are, a lot of the times, reflections of liability. Who we got? Juan the Smasher right here in Vegas. What's up, bud? Hey, what's going on, guys? How you doing, dude? What's on your mind? And I'm right here going to talk about the schedule and about this overall. I can see I can see us going 11, uh, what is it now, 11 and 6 with the extra game? Yep. Yeah, 11 and 6. I don't see us winning in KC. I don't see us winning in um, against the Niners. It's going to be a good game. But if we're going to be 11, just because of that O-line you were mentioning, you're right, man. Colton Mello is the only dude that has it on lock. The rest of those guys is iffy. But you know what? We got Carr. We got Adams. Peanut butter and jelly, you know what I'm saying? Hey, that offense is going to be top five. I believe it. And I think we're going to go a long push. Why? Because I'm just a crazy Raider fan. I don't know any better. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Let's go Raiders. All right. like the energy. Appreciate the call. And, and, and that's, I think he, so when we're talking about their schedule too, what's a pretty thing about a schedule like the Raiders, again, when we're tying in like these odds and looking at point spreads, there's a lot of these coin flip spots. And coin flip spots are like spreads within a field goal. They could go either way. And coin flips, we know it. They're fickle. You could flip head six times in a row. You could also flip tails seven times in a row. Or you can go even, right, 5-5. Five, five. And winning those games and how those games play out, because you're, when you look at their schedule, the Arizona game, the Tennessee game, a vast majority of these AFC West games, in terms of like the Denver Broncos and the Los Angeles Chargers, they're four-point underdogs to the Chargers in week one. Those are going to be coin flip spots that if they're going to win 11 games, if they're going to compete for the division title, those are the games you got to come out on top of. Also, when it comes to, like, oh, you say you call them coin flip games, why do the Raiders not get that benefit of the doubt of, hey, maybe being favored in the game as opposed to being the underdog? If it's just a matter of a coin flip, well, it's just a matter of being the away team? Well, it, it depends, right? So, like, for example, I would agree with your line of thinking. So, Station Casinos out here, they released their, their all the Raiders games well before the schedule was set. And one of the games that stuck out to me was they had the 49ers as a favorite here in Las Vegas. And I disagreed with that because I don't think see, the 49ers are a really interesting team. We don't know what's going on with the quarterback position. If it's Trey Lance from week one, how good are they actually going to be? And then the schedule comes out and you realize that they're not even going to play him until week 17, that 49ers team could be terrible, and the Raiders could be peaking and playing extremely well. But to your point about, like, why don't the Raiders get the benefit of the doubt, I think that's one where it's betters and where you're making your own, if you want to call them ratings, whatever it is, if you're making your own decisions how you handle these things, that's where you go, you got it wrong, this number's wrong, I'm going to put my money here mm-hmm. because that's, you. I believe that you have this number set incorrectly. And I believe that's the case. Like Against a team like the San Francisco 49ers, I think that gap is much closer than the initial odds told us because I just don't think the 49ers, they're still projecting the 49ers to be the teams of the last few years. Got to the NFC Championship game. Got to the Super Bowl. 
as opposed to a team that could be led by Trey Lance by the time we get to January. What is that? They're, they're New Year's Day, January 1st. Because when it comes to something like point differential, the Raiders, they did win a lot of close games. And you could say those games, a coin flip. A lot of those games and they won last year. Those they tend to regress lost. the year to year, right? Like yes. you, don't, you don't usually win single-score games like frequently. Like the, Se- the Seahawks are a really good example of that. They had that one year where they won 10 games. I think they won every single one or except for one score within seven points, and then the next year fell apart. Yeah, because me trying to get that rationale for why the Raiders are not favored in more games, is it because like it's a detriment to win close games season to season where it's almost like, hey, they won a lot of close games last year, but for betters and odds makers, that's not so much a good thing? No, I think every year is different. I don't think it's part of, you know, when you project, like when you're betting win totals, things like that, you want to look at statistics like wins and closest games and how they fared and those sort of things. But I think every single year, projections are going to be different. And that doesn't weigh a whole lot on okay. when you're when you're power rating out certain teams. So I'm going to pull this up because you guys were talking about this yesterday. The Superbook had um, all of the point spreads for the NFL season. So let's see here. Let's pull up the Las Vegas Raiders. So... See, like this, for example, so a um, the game against Arizona. So that's a coin flip spot. They're a two-point favorite at home. We talked to Ben Brown yesterday. He's talked about how home field isn't worth that much anymore in the National Football League because all these teams are so close together. So if you factor in that home field is worth just one and a half points, well, the odds makers say that the Raiders are actually better than the Arizona Cardinals, right? So you're only laying two. So someone would say that and go, well, they need more respect. Well, but they're still rating them as the better team, right? Because home field's really not worth that much. You look at a couple of the other games, like I would agree, a home game against Denver that's sitting at a pick. Denver, I think, is rated a little high. So maybe that's a spot where you're looking at that and go, at the very least, don't you think the Raiders should be getting home field? Should be laying like one and a half in a situation like that? But I think when you're talking about point spreads and getting a little bit more respect, the way you do that, as somebody who is looking at this and believes it to be disrespect or not accurately rated, well, that's when you go in and you bet on the Las Vegas Raiders. Who we got? Raider Rod's on the line. What's up, man? Hey, how's it going? So, um, this my thoughts are on this. Well, there's a couple of topics that you guys were hitting on that I want to talk about. One, um, the early one was the uh, top 11, top 12 offense. Yeah. I, I, I think that... The Raiders can be the winning successful team, eleven and six, twelve and five, but not have to be in that that top tier. Maybe in the top eleven, maybe in the top ten. And the reason I have for that is um, New England versus Buffalo in that windstorm. They play, they play the team. They don't. They, you know what I'm saying. They they game plan for specific teams, which will hurt your overall points per game, which leads to the number one offense or number one scoring offense and all that. I think if we have a top 10 or top five red zone offense, that is key to everything because we are balanced. Uh, Josh does like to debalance as well as, like I said, in that Buffalo-New England game, be incredibly unbalanced at times. And that's okay because we're playing to to what – game where or the opponent that we're facing not just trying to you know you're going by you're, you're going by a game plan you, you want a game plan for right. every single one of your opponents attack right, right. attack sure. weaknesses just like belichick has done we know belichick famously right eliminates the biggest weakness of the team and from an offensive standpoint will attack the biggest weakness of a team no it makes sense 
And maybe McDaniels brings some of that over. All right, we're going to come back. We have plenty left to get to. Tom Burns here, SXM NBA, is going to join us. we get a little NBA flair in here because, man, well, last night, the Eastern Conference Finals, the Boston Celtics, I think, put the league on notice. They're the best team left, man. Welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness. Unnecessary Roughness. Here on Raider Nation Radio 920. I'm going to have to kick you, you know what, today. Here's your boy, Q. No Q. I'm filling in for Q today. And tomorrow, me being Jonathan Von Tobel. Follow me on Twitter at BJVT. I'm a host over at VCN, the Sports Betting Network. It's a pretty good spot. Check it out. Also, regularly filling in on Cofield and Company on ESPN. 1100. Let us welcome in Tom Byrne, who's nice enough to give us time today. Does work for SiriusXM, Mad Dog Sports Radio, and I believe joining us from his son's baseball game practice. What's going on, dude? Well, the practice, and it was a game, actually, is canceled because of the rain. Oh. So instead, I'm at a birthday. So I don't know which one is worse. Probably the party, to be honest with you. So I'm annoyed the game's not on. So, so anyway, I'm, I'm picturing you, by the way, with a little Nipsey hustle leading you in. From the break, I'm picturing JBT with a lean and the windows down in Vegas with Nipsey Hussle. That's a hell of a picture. <laughs> it is. It is. It might be close to accurate to like college age, John Bontobel. Um, so let me uh, <laughs> let me tell you this, by the way. So for those who don't know, so I, I obviously have a relationship with uh, Tom. Uh, we know each other a little bit. So Tom, I got to t- talk to you on my show a couple of weeks ago, and one of the things that I expressed to you was that my son was invited to his first birthday party. Right. I got to avoid it. I got to stay at home. Just, uh, just an update on that. So uh, I, I, I still have yet to experience what you're experiencing at this point right now. Well, I appreciate you guys because as we speak, now the party's only three houses away. I'm walking back home. So I had to give the old honey, you know what, I feel bad, but I think I'm going to have to run here because I got an interview to do. So I appreciate that. I might, you know, act like you guys kept me on an hour, but really you're probably going to keep me on 10. Anyway, nobody cares what my schedule is. No. You're not wrong. Parties can be rough. Uh, all right, so let's talk a little NBA. Um, so I came into this series, and I, this is either going to go down as one of the worst text messages I have ever sent or one of the best text messages I have ever sent. I texted my colleague, Matt Humans at VSIN, Tom, when uh, the matchup was set in the Eastern Conference Finals between Boston and Miami, and I said, quote, Boston is going to rip this team apart. Now, after yeah. game one, it did not look like that was the case. But, boy, do I feel good after game two, huh? Oh, 100%. Boston's the better team. I mean, I don't usually tweet about this sort of thing. I'm not even a big Twitter guy other than the use it has for breaking news and that sort of thing. I went to Twitter last night because I was so surprised that number was six. And I guess I'm not shocked. I mean, if you're the odds makers out there, you don't want to be hanging sevens and eights. Miami is a one seed. But at the same time, now, I think the number's gone. I know it went to immediately six and a half after I took the six. I mean, you have to lay the points, don't you, with Boston? And, look, Miami might even win the game, let alone cover. We all know there's no such thing as a loss. But, JVT, you know this. Boston's just superior. I kind of like the idea they cut that rotation down to eight when they're healthy, and they are going to be healthy. Derek White's going to play. Congratulations are in order to him. Horford works off the rust. He's back in the mix now after the health and safety protocols. I mean, Marcus Smart, how good was he? Both ends of the floor. Miami's a good team, but Bam Adebayo has stretches where he disappears. Ever since Embiid returned, he hasn't been the same player he was. It was really good games one and two. We talked about home court advantage, not that big a deal in the first round, an enormous deal since. In fact, it's worth about five points right now. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Boston runs away with it tomorrow. I really wouldn't be. So when you're looking at this, because I like Boston a lot, we've expressed this already to this point, so what's the antidote for Miami if there is one? Because you know, you're know you watching them, and there were shades of this in game one, right? It was, it was fantastic that Jimmy Butler had the game that he did. But it is very clear, Tom, that he is the only guy that they have. I keep hearing, hey, you know what, Kyle? 
Kyle Lowry's not making up a 25-point difference. I don't think Kyle Lowry, like the game gets a little bit tighter, but Lowry is not going to make up the difference between these two teams. So what's the antidote here? Is it just as simple as, Hero, Adebayo, show up at some point, guys? Yeah, look, I don't know if there is one if you're exposed to. He could try to move some things around, but what exactly he does, I'm not 100% sure. You know, it's just a superior team against another. Now, look, sometimes I'd like getting into the X and O's and trying to figure out what's what, like in the – Golden State-Dallas matchup. I thought it was interesting that Dallas had such a hard time because they were playing Phoenix, and the pick and roll was constant with Chris Paul and company, right? Then they go and play Golden State, and it's the ball movement-oriented offense, and boy, did they struggle making that transition. You know, so maybe Dallas becomes a little bit more comfortable with what Golden State's trying to run. Maybe you could argue that. I don't know what you argue from a Miami standpoint uh, strategically. I mean, what, are you going to go to the zone? I mean, that's not going to do anything. Jason Tatum's going to get his. Brown's going to get his. they got too many solid players. They don't have any negatives. Like Derek White, for example, he's a bigger deal than people know. He didn't even play last game. I don't know what Greg Popovich is doing. Greg Popovich and R.C. Buford gave him away for nothing. He's yep. one of the better bench players in the league. So, yeah, from an Exodus standpoint, I'd love to sound like a wide stage giving you some incredible breakdown, but I really don't know how many options Derek Spolster truly has. Now, listen, you and I are making it seem like Miami's the bad news bears. I mean, let's not go too far, uh, but the reality is they're going to need Jimmy Butler to go for 35 or 40 just to have a chance tonight. Yep, and I I also, yeah, and, um, you know, they've been really good role players for them, and Gabe Vincent, I think, has been really good and consistent through the first two games. But like a Max Struess, who got his ankles broken by Marcus Smart yesterday, yeah, like it, the Heat culture thing is awesome and it's great. But I feel like once you get to this level where you're talking about elite athletes, like one through five for a team like Boston, th- those differences start to show up a little bit more on the floor. You know, I'm a little tired of the Miami Heat culture nonsense. I mean, that's all we hear about is how early they get up, how hard they work. I get it; they have a great culture. That's part of the. But at the end of the day, the Johnnies and the Joes are determining who wins and who doesn't. Like, I mean, there has to be fit, there has to be good culture and work ethic, but there has to be enough talent, too. Now, when you compare these two rosters, I think the elite talent on Boston's side. I said going into the Brooklyn series that Jason Tatum had already arguably surpassed Kevin Durant. Oh, my God, the, the phone line's flooded. Are you nuts? Have you been watching the NBA? I'm sitting there saying I'm trying to project forward. KD's an all-time great, but that's where we are with Jason Tatum. Nobody's knocking me for that particular opinion nowadays. I mean, Jason Tatum, I'd be surprised if he's not in the MVP conversation next year. And all due respect, the Butler has been phenomenal. And the thing I love about Jimmy Butler, he has the propensity to, you know, pick up his level of play yep. when it matters most. Whereas most guys kind of go the other way. Like the Sixers could have used Butler over Harden. Like, all right? I mean, geez. But anyway, he's not Tatum. He's not Tatum. And I think Tatum's got a better supporting cast. I agree with you on Lowry. That's not going to be the end all be all. But I do believe with Lowry, they would be much more formidable. And let's not just gloss over P.J. Tucker. I mean, sometimes, you know, with the way people talk about him, you think he's better than he is. But at the same time, I would rather have him than have him watching on the sideline. And I don't know that he's going to be able to go. So they could be down two starters tomorrow. All right, Tom, let me throw something at you. You said that you're getting tired of the heat culture. Yeah. UD, start him just one game. Stop. Start him in th- game three and just have him out-tough him. <laughs> because I think that that's the part where people don't want to believe the Heat culture. You get UD out there, maybe just look Tatum in his eyes. Stop. I think that can change the whole series. What about you? Yeah, if it were 1989, I think that might be a good point. <laughs> Un- unfortunately, in 2022, I think Udonis Haslam would be ejected within five minutes of the start of the game. You know that. I mean, look at the Dylan Brooks play. Not only was he kicked out of the game, He wasn't able to play the next play. My buddy Rick Mahorn used to do that on the regular.
fought it for it. So the game has changed. You know, I wish they would allow a little bit more physicality. They have to an extent. I kind of like the idea in the playoffs. There are no easy buckets. Obviously, you're not looking for any malicious play. But to your point, UD adds toughness, but nothing else. He's basically a statue at this stage. Speaking of the physicality, the other day, I mean, the other or last night, Tom, the officials were so surprised that Tyler Hero had a chase down block that they called him a they called a foul on him. They were like, "There's no way that could be a block." Yeah, I know. And listen, I've told you this before. I think in the off season, and I'm going to say it again, despite the fact he brought home some hardware, you could have Tyler Hero. Yeah. He's overrated. I mean, here's a guy. I'm not going to kill him on a personal level, like one of the ex-players I saw today did. I can't remember who it was talking about wearing the shades. This kind of enough. Forget about all that. I'm sure he's a good kid. But the reality is he's not as good as people make him out to be. I mean, my God, you look at some of the more important metrics, not the end-all, be-all, but you look at the Darkos, the Drips, the LeBrons, the Raptors. He's a negative player. Tyler Hero's overrated. I mean, he could get you going. I wouldn't mind him off the bench, you know, sixth, seventh man. Don't get me wrong. But the way people talk about him, it's like he's the Miami Heat second-best player. If he's the Miami Heat second-best player, then Eric Spolcher is the better coach than I even think <laughs> All right, let's get to uh, tonight, Western Conference Finals Game 2. Uh, before we get into the actual matchup and whatnot, how much uh, have you bought into a lot of this uh, shot quality stuff that's been going around? We've got this new account up on social media. It's been building up quite a uh, following. Um, looking at shot quality, things of that nature, how much weight do you put on those things? Uh, decent amount. I think I even brought it to your attention last we spoke, right? I mean, I had mm-hmm. just found out about it. You were aware of it, but you didn't know they were doing the NBA stuff. It's taken off. I'm into it. I was always into the locative effect of pickup percentage on cleaning the glass, for example. The numbers vary, though, and they're not even all that close in a lot of instances between the two, which I find interesting. I'd like a little bit more detail. I don't know if I'll pay for the site. Uh, but to your point, give whoever's running that site a lot of credit because I love the idea you can get a sense of the quality of shot. And by the way, if you went by that shot quality metric, you would love Dallas. Yep. If you look at Dallas's numbers this year and even in the postseason, they look very good according to that metric. And here's one series, JBT and I are usually on the same side. Here's one series where I feel like a square, but, it, but at the same time, I'm going to roll with them. I did in game one. I'm going to do it again. I'll lay it with Golden State. I think Golden State's just a superior team, despite what the shot quality numbers tell you. Oh, yeah. We're head-to-head again. I, I am stubborn. And uh, I did it. And to my credit, I mean, I was on Boston game one. I went back in game two, and I'm going to stick with my guns here. And I think, too, Tom, what's important for me is it's not blindly following the shot quality of one site, right? Right. You can right. look at, like, the NBA tracking data. According to their data, the uh, the uh, Mavericks shot 8-28 of on wide-open attempts against the Golden State Warriors. I think at the very basic level, we know that the uh, Dallas Mavericks have a better game in them offensively. I will say this, and I want to get your thoughts on it. It does worry me with the whole thing with Luca's shoulder. And we saw him pop up with the, kinetic, yeah. with the kinetic tape in the middle of that Sun series. It disappeared for game one. He's grabbing at it. He's front ironing shots. Like, he's not really looking great. I'd assume there's some sort of different treatment coming into today. But that that kind of worries me. I do think this Warriors team has been a little overvalued by the market. Uh, but if Luka Doncic is not fully healthy, uh, that is part of a very big problem for Dallas. Oh, 100%. And that would concern me as well because he was seen grabbing at a door and after the game. We now know that he's under the weather to an extent. How bad that is, I'm not sure. But if he's only 90%, that 10% makes a difference because he just doesn't have a proper Robin to his Batman yet. That was Chris Asperzingis, who actually played well, uh, but it was a lousy fit. He could be a little bit of a pain of the ass if you believe a lot of reports, so they punted on that particular project. Plus, he's never available, so that's a big problem. And now they have Spencer Didwood. He's stylistically speaking, he's a good fit. They played a five out with Maxi Kleba at the five, and it works because if they're knocking down shots, it's a beautiful offense. But at the same time, I just don't know they have the right pieces in place next to Luca. They're missing that next dude. He doesn't need much around him. 
because he could be an all-time great. I mean, that's not some hot take. That's just a fact. But if, you know, let's, who do you think is the second-best player? Let's argue about that. Do you think it's Spencer Dinwiddie? If Spencer Dinwiddie is the second-best player, I don't know that he is, but a lot of people think he is, then that just tells you all I need to know. They're just not good enough. For me, even this year where there isn't one great team, they're not good enough to make a trip to the bottom. I think it's Jalen Brunson, but your point still stands, right? Like, if that's the case. Tom Burns. Yeah, I I would argue it's Brunson, too. I'm with you there. He's going to get a big-time payday. I'd like him to be a little better in the catch and shoot. He's always got to shoot off the dribble, but he is a heck of a player. Even better out of Villanova than I thought he was. Yep. Tom Byrne, one Tom Byrne up on Twitter, the number one, is where you can follow him. Tom, we are up against it, but I appreciate you taking some time out of your day. All right, JVT, anytime. Take it easy, bud. Yeah, right. I, I don't agree. I don't agree. With what? Yeah, you're nice. I see you nodding over there, Demond. He's like, yeah, the Warriors. He was making fun. Tom was making fun of me the other day because I bet on the Mavericks. I'm going to do it again. It's like the goofy meme. I'll do it again. Again. <laughs> <laughs> but why wouldn't you? If you just if you want to have that aspect of, hey, they got to win one, so if they lose game two, you'll still bet on them in game three? Because this is about... This is about sticking to your priors, right? So if you have what you have, your ratings, projections, whatever, kind of tying it back to the Las Vegas Raiders, right? If you think the Raiders are going to be a good team, if they lose week one, are you like, I'm out? Oh, it's Nick Wright was right. Six and 11's on the way. They lost week one. It's over. But this is a seven-game series, and how much did they lose by in game one? I know it doesn't matter because the Celtics... You know, they overcame and like they blew out the heat in game two. You're arguing against yourself. But I don't think, yeah, I'll Eminem myself. I'll tell you everything you're going to say about me. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, but I don't think that. That shirt don't fit. <laughs> <laughs> that shirt doesn't. No, okay, yesterday. The shirt was tighter yesterday. <laughs> That's a good reference, huh? Yeah, I don't think that the Mavericks are that team, though. I don't think that they, because the Celtics, I think that they are the better team. The Mavericks are not the better team. Well, and I then, don't think they're the better team, but when you're talking about game one, the Warriors were a five-and-a-half-point favorite. Now in game two, they're a six-and-a-half-point favorite. I'm getting a full point on a team that I thought was already undervalued to begin with. I'm going to take that shot again. All right, but I still think that the Warriors, 10-plus point, 10 points. Okay. We'll remember this. I'm back on Monday, by the way. All right, so. and, and, we, and we'll talk on Monday about, hey, yeah, the Warriors beat them by at least 10. On Monday, can we pull the final battle from 8 Mile? Can we play that? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's probably one of the best uh, you know movie what? moments. But you know what? I'll say this real quick, and we can finish out this with the last minute. I think Eminem should have been disqualified. He took It's, it's like you, you already took all the Papa Doc's material. Not fair to Papa Doc. Oh, that's come on, that's ridiculous. <laughs> I actually think you should get disqualified. Was it the first? He takes like a good 20 seconds to get started. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it, like they're calling him out again. Like, I think you should have gotten disqualified for that. Like, there's got to be a shot clock at some point. All right. All right. Hey, Q is on vacation. He'll be out until uh, the middle of next week. Uh, I'm Jonathan Von Tobel filling in today. I'll be back on Monday as well. Again, if you want to get in touch with the show and you're listening up on Raiders.com, if you're out and about and whatnot, uh, but hit up Raider Nation Radio up on Twitter, Facebook. We're all over the place. And we'll see you on Monday. Have a good weekend, everybody.